Okay, you can take your seats and you can take your seats. And Mr. Frecker, come back a little later on. Just you feel it out. Feel the spirit. How are we? Oh gosh, in actual fact, I didn't really want that to end. But I did say that I'd be talking on middle child syndrome and I thought, well, you've come along because I've advertised it. And uh, you'd, sue, you'd sue John and Danielle if I didn't preach it. You think, well, I came for it and we don't want them to be sued, do we? And uh, I preached, you know, I preached at a church um, a few years ago uh, on a Sunday night and a guy came up to me and he said, and he said, you know, that was really good after I preached and, and, uh, and, and he said, I wasn't expecting it to be good. He said, I wasn't looking forward to you preaching and and, uh, and then he said at the end, he said, I, I, I feel really good after that. And, and he was with the pastor of the church and the pastor of the church said, well, what, when did you hear Dave last to, to not look forward to him preaching? And he said, well, Dave came like a year ago and he preached on uh, Isaiah 54 to stretch your tent curtain wide. And the pastor said, oh, no, that, that wasn't Dave. No, that was uh, Phil Pringle. <laughs> It's wrong for me to enjoy that. <laughs> but I did enjoy it just for a, a few, just for a minute, just for a few hours, just, just for a month or two. Uh, so um, all of us in the room have got a touch of uh, middle child syndrome. And you might think, well, I'm not a middle child. Yes, but this is a syndrome that, that affects and has affected um, all of us in this room at some stage within our lives. It's because at some stage you used to be the zippiest person around, the newbie, the sparkly one. You used to be the most exciting person around, the center of attention, but you're not anymore, are you? Some young punk has taken your place haven't they there used to be a point where the limelight was on you and you love that the, 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 there was a point where, where the world needed you until someone really similar to you came along and stole your limelight it's how a Justin Bieber felt when Shawn Mendes turned up. <laughs> he thought, I'm the king of pop. Who's this Mendes guy? It's like working at Blockbuster. <laughs> Thinking, look, everybody's coming down to my store. It's just brilliant. They're renting videos having a whale of a time. What, net, what, net, what, net, what, Netflix? <laughs> it's when you were king of your world and someone else came in and stole your crown. It's like what happened to Nokia. And every one of us have got a Nokia story that we were the brand until Samsung came along and stole our glory. I don't know if you saw the, uh, the show Little Britain. 
But the show Little Britain's got, it's got a skit in it and it's called The Only Gay in the Village. And they played it and played it and played it in different scenarios, right? And, and the story goes, if you don't know it, the story is there's a guy in pink lycra and he's the only gay in the village, right? And he's having a great time being the only gay in the village. And then another gay turns up wearing iridescent blue lycra. And all of a sudden, his world falls apart. Why? Because he's the only gay in the village. That's middle child syndrome. That's the syndrome. So every other gay that came into the village, he'd make sure that, that he'd, they'd get kicked out of the village. You'd think he'd love it. Two gays in a village. You'd think it'd be Christmas. But it wasn't Christmas. It stole his Christmases. Because what's more important than company? It's being someone, feeling like you're someone, being important, being significant is the driving force of life. And the third reason why people leave churches after bad leadership, after a job transfer down south, the third reason is because of middle child syndrome. Because people can't go over, get over the fact they were once in the limelight. And now they're no longer in the limelight. And that crisis of confidence is something that you need to beat. Because if you are a young star, at some stage, somebody's going to take over your role. And you're going to have to be careful. You might not be the only guy in the village, but you might be the only guitarist in church at some stage. You might be the only good friend to somebody who's come into the church. You might be, you might be the only person who's, who's, who's able to discern stuff in the Spirit. You might be the only prophetess. Saying, I love prophecy. Yeah, until another prophetess turns up. Two prophetesses is a bad combination. <laughs> so the second prophetess, the first one leaves church. Because she can't get over the fact that someone like her has joined the church. And the expression comes from what happens to middle children. The firstborn is the one the parents put most work into. They end up with a heightened sense of responsibility because of the huge expectations placed on them. That's why the firstborn are 30% more likely to be CEOs and politicians. They stay in school longer. They make more money. They've got a higher IQ. They spend more time on homework than on screen time. And out of the first 23 astronauts on NASA sent it to space, 21 were firstborn. Okay, if you're firstborn here, stand up. Whoa, what's happening here? This place is filled with firstborns. Well, I've got two words for you, firstborns. You people uh, who are studious, you diligent people, task-oriented people, earnest people. I've got two words. Chill out. Okay, I've got some uh, other words here. Uh, you don't need that second degree. 
I mean, what are you doing getting a PhD? You don't need to be a vegan. Like, you don't need to be a vegan. What are you doing, you firstborn people? You don't need to recycle everything. I mean, I mean, what are you doing getting five bins in your kitchen? You can hardly walk into your kitchen now because the five recycling bins. You don't have to indicate left because the road is already turning left. You don't need to wear your seatbelt in the Woolworths car park. And when you, lastly, when you're going on a family holiday, you do not need to do a risk assessment. It's a family holiday. So chill out, take a chill pill and sit down. The second born then come along and we're having a great life. They're enjoying all of the attention until your parents decided you were not enough. And now the second born is sandwiched between the brilliant achieving firstborn and the cheeky, talented, favored, naughty, adventurous lastborn. And it is not right. If you're the youngest in your family, I want you to stand up right now. I've got two words for you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, thank you, thank you for ruining for ruining the life of your older sibling. Thank you for coming along. Thank you for taking and stealing, thieving the limelight and making a generation of people miserable. Take your seats right now. It's a syndrome. It can affect it when, when a new church starts within a town, when a new business, just like your printing business starts. And as the church grows, all the intention moves on to the newbies. It can happen when you're no longer in your 20s and no longer in your 30s. And a midlife crisis is also the same as a middle child syndrome, hard at work. My dad came over, we came over from England uh, back in 1965, a long time ago, and uh, he got a job as the chairman of the Air Pollution Commission in Queensland, and, and then he worked on a thesis to get his PhD, and he uh, finally got a PhD on the prospects of a nuclear power station in Australia, and he was one of the original environmentalists, and he was in demand so much that he went down to Melbourne, and he was the chairman of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Authority, and life was going well for him. He was in the limelight. He had written around 10 books or five to six books by that stage. And then the Premier of Victoria got into tussles with this independent organization and tried to own it. And then one day, the Premier of Victoria sacked my dad and took him out of prominence and into invisibility. And he never survived. His whole life collapsed. 
and he never rose up again because of the curse and the power of middle child syndrome. And it can affect all of you. I remember when our church was five years of age and and uh, all of a sudden, within a month, a third of the church left. They just decided to leave. And I'm thinking, how could they have been so affected by what was happening? It's because we saw a lot of growth in the first five years. And these were the people that came in in the first six months. But then the focus of attention began to leave them. And the spotlight began to move on to the newbies. And then they thought, well, who loves us anymore? We're getting rejected by the pastor. They're interpreting the fact that our care for the newcomers means rejection for the oldies. And so with, with some uh, diseased people, they decided to, to join the ranks and leave the church because of middle child syndrome. It's strong. It affects all of us, a sense of invisibility, a sense of insignificance, a sense of being neglected, being abandoned. But how do, how do you get your mojo back? If it's happened to you, how do you get your pizzazz back? How do you get your bounce back? If you are someone who used to be, how do you get reinvented for the greatest days of your life? If the ways of the righteous spiral upwards, then how, how, how do we do this transition time? Well, I've got some keys for you. Number one, you want to believe that life's rejections are God's ejections into God's future for you. You're going to have to dehumanize it, depersonalize it, and realize that God's a sovereign God. And the life's rejections of you are God's ejections. God's got to spit you out in order to reinvent you. Because you're not wanting to be spat out. You're loving life. Yeah, you're like a big fish in a small pond. Nobody wants to be a small fish in a big pond. You've come out screaming, but God's in charge. Romans 8:28, all things work together for good to those. God's a providential. God's a sovereign God. He's in charge of your life. Not the devil, not your younger brother, not your workplace boss. God's in charge of your life. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 9 says that he takes away the first in order to establish the second. So he takes away your BFF to establish a new BFF because the person that took you from A to B is never the same person that takes you from B to C. Most people just go from A to B, B back to A, A to B, B back to A, and they think this is Christianity. It's not because it's not advancing. Because they stay with the same friends. And the greatest gift that you can have is the gift of rejection. Because rejection pushes you out. It forces you out of the nest and it forces you into a new part of the journey. It's from B to C. And every new part of the journey requires new friends and new relationships. It requires new ways and new habits. It requires new roles. And what's happened to you is a gift from God to reinvent you for the greatest days of your life. He takes out the old. He takes away the worn out. He takes out this is who I am to establish the new you, the next you, the next big thing. 
I've, I, I've shared this before. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, you know, try and find yourself. If you find yourself, you'll find your former self. You'll find who you used to be immediately. You'll find you frozen in history, frozen in a photograph in history, because you're not who you used to be. You're everything who you will be. And you will be is attached to the promises of God. So stop trying to be the authentic you. Because the moment you say this is the authentic me, you become inauthentic. Because that's the past you. And the real you is the new you. And the authentic you is the you just beyond you. Is the authentic. But if you try and capture it saying, I found me, then you lose you. Because the moment you find you, now you're down the corridors of history you. And the real you is the new you. It's the next you. That's why God's spat you out. Because he's getting you ready. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. The prodigal son's older brother said this because he had middle child syndrome even though he was the oldest brother. And this is what he said in Luke 15, 29. After all of these years, I've been slaving for you. See, he's lost his mojo. Everything's in the realm of duty, not delight. I've never disobeyed your orders. What, what is, what, what? What is this lingo? Son, what son says that to a dad? I've never disobeyed your orders. To a beautiful father that we see who's opening up his arms to the prodigal son. He says, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. See, he became a slave to the system. And you can become a slave to the system. You can become a cog in the machine because you've moved from sonship back into slavery. And it's easy to do, to be a slave to the system, to be a slave, not a son, to be duty-bound rather than delight-bound. Five levels of delight. I'll just take you through. The first level, the shallowest, is because the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Well, that ain't what this prodigal son's older brother was doing. Delight yourself in God, and He'll give you the desires. The desires. Some of you need to just have a flick through your desires. Because if you love God, your desires are pretty close to the will of God. They're not exact, but they're pretty close to the will of God. It's five levels. Number one, there's likings. I like that. You want to step out of the box of who you used to be and start to figure out who you will be and it's to do with your desires. Your desires start with a liking. It starts with an attraction. It starts with a curiosity, an inclination, a soft spot. Secondly, it's an inkling. It's a niggle. It's an itch. It's a restlessness. Thirdly, it's a yearning. It's a hunger. It's an excitement. It's an urge. It's a wanting. Going deeper still, it's a hankering. It's a craving. It's an aching. It's a thirsting. And deeper still, your desires are a smittenness, an obsessing, a drivenness, all-consuming, all-addictive. That's your future. That's your future right there. Don't just ask yourself what you want. Ask yourself what you really, really want. 
Go and visit. Visit your desires. Because if you delight yourself in God, which I saw every one of you doing tonight, if you delight yourself, come out from slavery back into sonship, He'll fiddle with your desires. Your desires are, with mixed in your desires, are the future you. And the next you is the next big thing. It's hovering, it's stirring, it's, it's in you. You're not far away. It's already, you're already pregnant with something to do with the future. Stop denying what you want and start to work with it so that God can start to stir up the excitement, get your mojo back for a God-given future. Number two, stop thinking that all the rejection is deliberate. People are like pawns in the hands of God. Stop allowing bitterness and resentment to consume you. It's God's sovereignty at work, not people's rejection. The dad not giving the son a goat may have just been thoughtlessness from the dad, not deliberate prejudice. See, that's what you do wrong, is you're putting everything through the filter of rejection. Somebody never texts you back within an hour. I'm rejected. Someone never gave you a present for your birthday. You know, all 23 people that did, you know one that didn't. And that's from five birthdays ago. What is that? What is that? That's called a rejection complex because you think they deliberately held back the present. Can I introduce you to humanity? Humanity is filled with forgetfulness. People forget. And you interpret people's forgetfulness as a deliberate act of sabotage on your future. Stop bigging up humanity so much. Everything, 99% of things aren't done with venom. They're done out of thoughtlessness. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Above all, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I have to pull up in about just a few minutes, right? But when Jesus is on the cross, you know, when he was on the cross, I'll read it to you, then I'll tell you about it, right? In Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Well, they kind of know what they're doing, don't they? Uh -huh, right? They don't know what they do. Well, let's, they are nailing him to the cross. <laughs> they do hate him. Now, you can see it as a real spiritual thing that they don't know what they're doing, setting up the salvation of mankind. So you can interpret it like that, but I'd rather interpret it naively as Christ protecting his heart against the spirit of rejection. He said, I don't really know what they're doing. No, I kind of do, but you're not going there, are you, Jesus? No, I'm not, because it's going to let me be bitter. Some of you need to do that. People aren't vindictive like you think. They're just thoughtless. They're just forgetful. And on your cross, if you, tonight on your cross, you could just say that, you know, just take the benefit of the doubt that they just forgot to send that to you. They forgot to say that to you. They forgot to encourage you. They forgot to love you growing up. That... He forgot to love on you when you were 13, 14, and 15. If you could just say, Father, forgive them, he didn't really know what he was doing. Then what you're doing is you're guarding your heart. Above all, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows your future. 
Uh-huh. And you know, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, right, he, he just to continue on for a second, right, uh, he said, oh, guys, you guys can't even pray. You can't even pray for an hour. And then Jesus said, hey, let me just think about that. Uh, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Really? The spirit didn't look that willing. What on earth is Jesus doing? Why is he giving them the benefit of the doubt? I mean, it's not a proper thesis, not a proper analysis of the 12 disciples, the 11 disciples, because some of them, the spirit won that well. What's, what's Jesus doing? Guarding his heart with all diligence, because out of this heart flowed the salvation of mankind. You want to stop thinking badly about people. People aren't as clever as you think. They're not as bitchy as you think. They're not as, they're not as, as you think they are. They're just thoughtless. They don't think it through, but you interpret that as deliberate rejection. And so you've created a dartboard with their face on it. You throw darts on it every night. And what you should do is say, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. God never forgets you. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she's born? And then it gives benefit. He just says, Those she might forget. I'll never forget you, says the Lord, because I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Nothing can stop your exaltation. No angel, no demon, no pastor, no boss. No power, no principality can stop. When God exalts you, nothing in all of creation can stop it. Because when God remembers you, He remembers His covenant. You're not in the hands of mankind. You're in the hands of God. That's a faith statement. And when you say it, it cleanses you from all bitterness, from all obstinateness, from all hatred. When you forgive those who have turned against you, you're setting yourself up for the future that God has for you. Can you say amen? Aha. Uh-huh. I've got to finish. Here's my last point. That if you, can, if you can celebrate the current big thing, the Sean Mendes, if you can celebrate the current big thing, then God will release you into your next big thing. If you're a blockbuster, you can celebrate Netflix. If you can't, it, it's the hardest thing because they've stolen your trade. But if you can big up Netflix, then you open yourself up to the next big thing that God has for you. You just need to celebrate. And I suggest that you go on Facebook and start to celebrate your enemies, celebrate the people you hate, take them off mute (laughs) on your Instagram. If you could learn to love other people more than they love you, we're in business. I'll just say this, right, that this is called agape love. It's exhausting. I'm exhausted I'm agarping loving every flipping day. It's tiring. But when I see the future I'm setting up for myself, I think it's well worth it.
Wow. I mean, people go L-Y, Dave. I go L-Y-M. Love you more. <laughs> it's tiring. L-Y-M-ing's tiring. Thinking, oh, can't we just be equal here? And God says, no, it's not even Stevens, Dave. You do it more to them than they do it to you. What am I doing? Setting up myself for the awesome future that God has for me. Finish with a story. Finish with a fact. Out of all the U.S. presidents that have ever been present, there's 45 U.S. presidents. For only 14 of them are firstborn. Only seven of them are lastborn. 24 are middle children. Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, Jefferson, Nelson Mandela, Princess Diana, David Letterman, Bill Gates, Martin Luther King, Britney Spears, <laughs> Diana Ross, Ernest Hemingway, Michael Jordan, Walt Disney, Mark Zuckerberg, every one of them, middle children. Middle children become great negotiators, great peace breakers. They become great politicians. They're able to bridge the gap between a divided people. They know what it feels like to be invisible. And so they become a voice to the voiceless. That's your future. Whatever you're going through, take the seed out of your suffering and plant it in the future of other people's lives. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. God's giving you a heart for rejected humanity so that you can sow the seeds into this, into the future of humanity. That's why you've been through what you're doing. That's why you're driven by mercy more than anybody else is driven by mercy. To be a voice to the voiceless. Here's my last quote. When Steve Jobs was sacked by Apple in 1985, he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him. This is brilliant. He wrote, the heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again. It freed me to enter into one of the most creative periods of my life. He created Pixar. In mid-season, in mid-term, in mid-life, he created the greatest animation studio of all time. When he was sacked, rejected by the organization that he started. Cost him 10 million, but he sold it for 7.4 billion. He created Toy Story. Bugs Life, Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Up, and the greatest of all time, Toy Story 3. 
What did he do? Took the seed out of his suffering, planted it into the soil of destiny. Come on, stand up right now. Stand up right now. From the back to the front. That's your future. That's your future. They don't hate you. They just don't care about you. They're not thinking bad thoughts about you. They're just not thinking any thoughts about you. Come on, it's God who's thinking about you. It's God who's, who's, who's tattooed you on the palm of his hand. That God will not forget you. Mary said, God's not forgiven, not forgotten. The humble state of his servant and it's the same with you you're remembered by God his covenant is with you the greatest days are ahead of you God is mighty your future's mighty the next you is the beginning of the next big thing come on put your hands together for Jesus Christ your Lord your Savior your Redeemer your future the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end the author and the perfecter of your faith He will not let you down. He will not let you down. He will not let you down. We need to pray a prayer saying, God, forgive us. We need to pull down those dartboards. Come on, say this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I realize now that I've interpreted my life through the filter of rejection. And I deliberately take that filter down. And I say, as Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. I forgive my family. I forgive my boss. I forgive my culture. I forgive my city. I forgive my friends. And I forgive my enemies. Because they really don't know what they're doing. But the one who does stands by me to lift me into all he has for me through the power of the blood in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give God a clap offering of praise. Come on, come on, come on. We're breaking the syndrome, breaking the syndrome, pulling it down, pulling it down. Okay, there's some people who you prayed their prayer that want to give their lives back to Jesus Christ. There's prodigals here and you realize that God's a pretty good God and he's here to give you a fresh start. Let's pray this prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you've never prayed this kind of prayer before and you've never become a Christian, why don't you pray this with us? Come on, everyone with their eyes closed. Say this after me. Everyone do it. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for being so grace-filled and being so loving and coming to me full of grace full of acceptance and full of mercy forgive me for my sins for my stinking attitudes for my bitterness for my resentment for harboring hate through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ forgive me and now be my saviour be my Lord for the rest of the days of my life Keep your eyes closed. See, that's a short prayer, but prayer doesn't need to be long. It just needs to be sincere. If you sincerely prayed that prayer, I'm going to get you to do one more thing with every eye shut. When I count to three, I'm going to get you to lift up your right arm and leave it up till all the hands are up. And this is symbolic of drawing a line in the sand. I'm not going to embarrass you, not going to pull you out, but it's symbolic of drawing a line in the sand between how you were and who you're about to become. Everything starts with the prayer of faith. If you sincerely prayed that, every eye closed, I want you to, on the count of three, put your hand up. Backsliders, first timers, 
Let's do it now. Three, two, one, lift, 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 lift. Yep, 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 yep. Lift it higher, 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 higher. So I can see it. Lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. On my left hand side, come on, that's good, that's good. There's one hand near the middle, there's two hands there, there's three hands there. I'll come back to you in the middle section. There's four hands there on my right hand side. There's, 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 there's another hand on my right hand side. Is there anybody else? Just, just lift it up a little higher if, if you're here and you're coming back to Jesus or giving your life and giving your heart to Jesus Christ. Father, we're blown out that even tonight is a night of salvation, Lord God. Let the peace of God fall upon them, God. Lead them like a shepherd to still waters and green pastures. Be good to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, hey, I've got to go, right? If you, if you get three books, you can have the fourth one for free. It's my book, Hit Factory. It's a brilliant book. If you think you can or if you think you can't, you both write. It's two books in one, 500 Nuggets of Faith for the Christian life. Up the Creek Without a Paddle, the story of my pain will make you feel very happy. <laughs> Prophecy, this is my wife's new book. It's just a brilliant devotional book that's straight out of the ocean of prophecy of her life. Jesus, save me from your followers. We need saving at times from the followers of Christ. And uh, my book on human rights called Man Boobs. <laughs> Love you. See ya. Bye. Bye.